Thanks for joining us. This is the EWN Podcast Network. Hello, my friends, and welcome to Rev with Rachel, where we recreate, enlighten, and vibrate in our radiance. I am Reverend Dr. Rachel Whetstone, but just call me Rachel. This podcast is the place to learn about really feeling our emotions, mastering the mind, being aware of our energy, and tuning into our own intuition for the purpose of living in love, bliss, freedom, health, peace, and what I call our godly potential. I would love to stay connected with you. If you want updates about Rev with Rachel and living a Rev life, please go to RevWithRachel.com and enter your name and email address. You can also like Rev Life on Facebook. Today's episode is Whole Family Healing from Addiction with Lori Healy. Welcome, Lori. Hi, Rachel. Hi. It's been so nice to connect with you again. Our boys met through preschool and then we haven't seen each other in a while. <laughs> I know. The years go by quickly, don't they? Yes. But I loved hearing about what you're doing now. And I'm so excited to share this because it's a uh, it's a topic that's not often, you know, discussed and um, I, you know, I know you come from a stance of this whole family healing, so I'm just so excited to learn more. So why don't you share with, with us how you came to be doing what you're doing now? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think like any type of journey, it's never linear. And I don't know, know that I would have imagined myself at this space uh, years ago. Mm -hmm. uh, my, my career itself has always been in the field of marketing. And so for most of my 30 year career, I've worked with entrepreneurs and small businesses and startups, which I absolutely loved and um, had a, a really great career in that area. Um, but I would also say during that same amount of time, um, we as a family on the personal side were really struggling with the disease of addiction in our family. And it was my uh, younger brother that um, had struggled with this uh, really since his teenage years and it followed him throughout his adult life. And as a family, um, you know, this was back in the 80s and 90s. And just like you said, now, Rachel, people really don't talk about it. And back then, it really wasn't talked about. Mm -hmm. And so we felt um, very alone, and really, honestly, somewhat ashamed. And we let that stigma kind of keep us uh, hidden in silence. And unfortunately, my brother lost his battle to the disease in October of 2017. And at that point, um, I mean, obviously and very naturally, that that really shook all of us to our core. Um, but in a, in a sense, it kind of broke me open to start asking some deeper questions of how did we get here? Why did we uh, battle with this disease the way that we did? And um, how were we supposed to do it? And I thought there just had to be a different, um, a different way for families to deal with this type of disease. And so I just started down my own path. And that was probably part of my grief process, just learning, uh, trying to get questions answered. And what I realized is that there actually are a lot of great resources out there, but you really have to dig and you really have to know what you're doing. And I think as a family member, when you're dealing with this uh, with addiction, it's very, very difficult. And so I just decided that I wanted to get more involved and started getting invo involved with community events and a grassroots level. And I think just like, again, any, any journey that you're on, you tend to meet people that have similar interests and passions. And that's what I did. And I started to understand that um, there were 
different needs that families have in this realm. And so I started uh, taking classes and learning and have since uh, done you know, that work to become a peer recovery specialist uh, and a recovery coach. And I'm actually doing some trainings right now um, to be working with families specifically as it relates to intervention. So that's where I'm at today. Again, never mm-hmm. thought I would be here, but I am so excited to be here and thankful that using my, you know, with my experience that I can help other families in this area. Yeah. Oh, I love it. It's so important for, to raise awareness really that this is probably way more common than we, we realize day to day. It's so common. In fact, right now there are 23 million people in this world that are in active addiction And for every one person, uh, and I'm specifically talking about substance use disorders here, so addiction related to um, alcohol or other specific types of drugs, for every one person with a substance use disorder, four loved ones are negatively impacted. So if you do the math around that, that's almost 100 million family members. So this is very, very wide-reaching in our communities. Mm. Oh, wow. Now, you spoke, too, before the show about kind of this, who am I to be doing this? <laughs> you know, I think a lot of people who are approached with this calling from within them um, to change careers and shift. But I loved what you said. Would you share what, the, what you came across that kind of told you, oh, I can do this? Yeah, um, I think that, you know, it was, and I kind of alluded to this, it was just a a realization and a um, kind of even a divine intervention around this. And I, you know, I kept thinking, wow, I, and I'm, and I'm very spiritual and I kept feeling like I was being called to do this. And I just thought, no, I'm, you know, this is not, <laughs> this is not for me. This is not who I am. Who am I to do this? And somebody um, shared with me that, you know, God doesn't call the equipped. He equips those who are called. And that really spoke to me. And so um, it was just important for me to continue to, again, to use my experience because now, because I say, you know, I have 30 years of lived family experience in this area and I can immediately relate to Mm. what families are feeling and what they're going through. So that was, um, I think that was kind of one of those things. I just stepped out in faith and just going to keep going. Mm -hmm. Oh, I love it. So where do you start with people? How does this work? Yeah. Well, I think it's, it first just start, you start to understand where they at in their own journey. Um, you know, I've talked to families that they're really kind of, I guess, at the beginning, so to speak, where they might have some, um, some individuals in their family, specifically with a parent with a younger child, where they're maybe experimenting or they're wondering about their use and they're just not really sure how to start that conversation. So people may be at that point of their journey. Um, other people may, like our family had been dealing this, with this for many, many years and uh, the individual with the substance use disorder could be very advanced in their disease. So it's really important to understand where each family is at so that you can talk to them about the different multiple pathways of recovery, because that can be very different um, for different people. And there are, of course, like any disease, there are different ways to be treated. Mm-hmm. And then, so describe how, how it's whole family healing, because I think often 
maybe addiction is approached from this person has something going on, but where does the whole family come in? Exactly. And, you know, just speaking, that's a great question. And speaking from experience, I think um, in our family, you know, we originally thought, well, we need to make, we need to fix my brother or we need to make sure he gets better. And the reality is, is that addiction is a family disease. It impacts everybody in the family. And so not only do we need to love and support uh, our loved one in order for them to get the right treatment, but it's also really important that we find recovery as family members as well. And so one of the things that research has shown is that, you know, when, when one person in the family starts to make a change uh, toward that path of recovery, it starts to impact others in the family as well. And this disease of addiction, it, 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 you know, impacts people within the family very differently too. We all take on different types of roles based on maybe where we're at within the family, what our role is and what the relationship is to the individual within our family. Um, but I, I like to use the visual of a baby mobile that would, you know, hang above the cribs when they're little. And when it's, when it's just barely touched, the whole thing moves and that's really how our families are impacted. So again, back to that, when one family member starts to make a change or can lead that change within the family um, to start to be more healthy and understand the disease of addiction, addiction everybody kind of starts to change. Mm-hmm. And it's also really important to remember that um, addiction, it can be so messy because we see these individuals, um, you know, making decisions and doing things that feel very hurtful and feel very destructive. And we just can't understand why would they do this to me? Or we'll ask ourselves, well, why can't they just stop? And it's just not simply that easy. And it's really when you, when you can start to separate the, the disease from the person. So I always say to people, you can hate the disease, but love your person. And when you start to understand addiction and really dive into the neuroscience behind it, which is really fascinating, what that starts to do is that understanding starts to turn into a little bit more of compassion um, for that person. And that can hopefully start to replace those feelings of anger and numbness and frustration, which is very, very common when we're, we're dealing with family members that are struggling with their disease. Is the common perception that it is just a choice? And so that's where it gets hard to have that compassion? Yeah, yeah, for for a lot of people it is. And people would say, well, they, you know, they chose to use or they chose to use this. We can also say, well, they didn't choose to have a substance use disorder. There are many, many different factors that go into how the disease of addiction progresses. And I'm not a doctor, and so I you know, don't want to get too much into that. But it's important to understand that this really isn't a choice for many people. And I think the other thing that we need to ask people or what you need to understand about addiction is not to ask why the addiction but why the trauma or why the pain? Because usually mm-hmm. behind most addictions, there's a lot of trauma or pain um, that is represented in that. So through that use, individuals are trying to find a way to, to numb that pain or escape. Um, and the way that you know, I, I talk to people about this too is to say, well, think about it. Anytime we're in, we're in any type of pain or distress, we try to run away from that. And there's many, many different ways that people can choose to deal with their pain. For some 
people, maybe it's, I'm going to go for a long run and I'm just going to clear my breath or clear my head. You know, other people might say, well, gosh, I'm just going to do some yoga or meditation, or maybe I'm going to go take the dog for a walk. For some people, they turn to a substance because mm-hmm. that for them has more of a, a, a positive, um, a positive reward than it does a negative reward. Yeah. So I, I kind of, in my mind, I have addiction as like a, an extreme case, but in a way, um, kind of what you're speaking to, I think of substance use is like on a spectrum because mm-hmm. in, in, even if we're not, don't have an addiction, if we're using a substance, it is some sort of escape from what's going on inside. Mm-hmm. Is that mm-hmm. true or? No, that's a good question too. And I think that's also been, you know, debatable as well. I think there's a great, um, there's a great podcast that I would recommend to listeners who really want to understand more about the science of addiction and Mm -hmm. recovery. And it's called In Recovery. Um, And this doctor, she's a doctor, and she does a great job of, of talking about what the disease of addiction is. And I'm probably not going to use her words exactly, but really an addiction is anytime the use of a substance where the positive consequences um, outweigh the negative consequences. So sometimes the negative consequences have to get so big for our loved one in order for them to start changing their behavior. Mm. So and again, that can be that can be um, on a wide spectrum. For some people, that negative consequence might be their second DUI. Mm. For some individuals, that could be um, you know something un- as unfortunate as and tragic as um, you know some some really really bad health complications, um, strokes, or you know whatever the the results might be of that continued use. So it's really different for everybody. And it is a spectrum. Mm -hmm. So what else do we need to know? So I think it's important that um, you think about what your own recovery looks like. So again, I think we get wrapped up with trying to, we we get so wrapped up with trying to figure out how can we fix our person. And I Mm -hmm. think um, we probably know that we can't change anybody else. We can only, you know, change ourselves. We can really only focus on uh, our reactions and our responses to the situations. So that's why it's important for us as uh, family members or friends to find our own recovery so that if and when our person is ready to focus on their own recovery, we are in a healthy place to support them. So one of the things that I do through my recovery coaching and working with families is really, again, just to help them understand, you know, what's behind the addiction, that there are reasons for their use. There are reasons why they are choosing to turn to substances um, to relieve some sort of pain or trauma. And so that would be the first thing is like educating yourself, you know, about the disease of addiction, being able to separate the disease from the person themselves. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the other thing would just really be around like, well, how can we, how can I best communicate and support my loved one? And a lot of that comes down to communication. And of course, um, we know that's easier uh, said than done, even just in parenting situations, how difficult can it be sometimes for us? I know, Rachel, we have boys that are the same age and, Mm -hmm. you know, just having a conversation about why they can't watch so much TV or uh, 
why they need to get outside and exercise their body. Sometimes those very simple conversations can be difficult, especially when you're dealing with a brain that isn't completely and fully developed. Mm -hmm. And so you think about that and you think about addiction, um, which is put on top of that. And sometimes these conversations can become very, very heated and they can be very, very painful. So one of the things too, that when I work with families is to help them understand uh, some of the superpowers that they have in terms of the communication skills that can be employed in these types of situations. So it can be things such as um, really approaching things from a curiosity standpoint, rather than the shame and the blame and the guilt, we want to take as much of that away as possible, because our loved ones are already guilty, they're already feeling a huge amount of shame. So Mm -hmm. we don't need to pile that on. But what we can do is come come at it from an approach of, of like, help me understand, you know, why you, you you use or help me understand the type of situations where you're most prone to use. So when we can start to establish, um, you know, trusted communication, we can actually start to make some improvements to our relationship in that area. So things like reflective listening and just letting them talk. So, uh, you know, when I tell families, if you can even just get rid of the shame, blame and, shame, blame, and guilt, like just mm-hmm. really focus on that. Um, and then we'll start working on some other communication skills. So th- that's one of the things too. Another, oh, sorry, go ahead, Rachel. Yeah, I just, when you talk about the shame, blame, and guilt, that's, that it is kind of a root um, trigger, mm-hmm. I think, of why we use and what we're kind of covering up, what we don't want to feel. Yes, yes, exactly. It's just, it's so important. And again, it's really hard. It's really hard, especially if, you know, you've already had, uh, you had an agreement in place that they, maybe your son was going to be home by 11 o'clock at night and they didn't come home until two in the morning. They know they were late. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, so instead of the, you should have been home at two, I can't believe it. You're not going to use the car again. um, Maybe starting that conversation off with, you know, I noticed that you weren't home at 11 o'clock when you were supposed to be home. What's up? What's going on? Giving them the opportunity to know that you're open to a discussion and that you're just not going to come down with a hammer right away. Cause as you mm-hmm. said, it's, it's a trigger for people and it's immediately going to shut off the, the communication flow. Yeah. Yeah. So true. And then you were going to continue on. Yeah. One of the other things that's really important in, in all of our relationships, but I think um, in terms of how it needs to be applied to uh, the disease of addiction is boundaries. So boundaries are a really important component because boundaries are what help keep us safe. Boundaries are the things that allow us to live in accordance with our own values, where we can feel safe, we can have good emotional health. And it can be really hard to set those boundaries, um, again, when addiction is present, because there's a lot of fear, uh, there's a lot of trauma, there's a fear of judgment, and it can just be really hard to do. So one of the things, again, that um, I do is work with families to establish what those boundaries look like, you know, why we need those boundaries. And furthermore, then how can we compassionately communicate those boundaries? Because that's a really important piece of it to say, in order for me to feel safe in this relationship, here's what I need, or here are some of the things that I've decided for me. And so to put it in, um, you know, uh, an example that everybody can relate to, let's say you might have a boundary around your own eating. If you have a, if it's important for you to um, live a healthy life and generally eat well and exercise, Um, A boundary for you might say, you know, I am only going to let myself have pizza and ice cream on Saturday nights. 
uh, rather than eating pizza and ice cream every night of the week, because then um, you might get to a point where, gosh, this, this is really starting to impact me in a negative way. So again, those boundaries are important for us to establish in all parts of our uh, life so that we can have that balance. Mm-hmm. And then I would, I'd finally say, you know, it's really important for you as a family member or a friend of a loved one to find your own path to recovery again, so that you can be healthy. And a lot of people, there's many different pathways, just like there's many different pathways to somebody who's struggling with substance use. There's many different pathways to your own recovery. So for some people that may be finding um, a group like Al-Anon or Naranon or some of these support groups that are available, um, you know, before COVID, obviously a lot of in-person groups were meeting and now a lot of those have moved online. So there's many different types of support groups that you can find online um, based on what works for you. There's some really great faith-based groups out there too that are helping people deal with this. Um, For some people, it might be finding a therapist. If you've been dealing with addiction in your family for many, many years, you have a lot of trauma built up in your life as well. And so you may need to work with somebody um, to work through that. Uh, Some people, again, work with recovery coaches. Uh, There's other people who like to listen to podcasts to, you know, just soak in that knowledge. Uh, And then, of course, there's so many different books and resources out there um, for people to find out about. And again, that's another thing that I love to do is get people connected to the right resources so that they can get on a path um, for their own healing. Oh, and I love that. And I think people like you can, can support and provide that space, safe space for the conversations and, and next steps and what do we do and, yeah. and all of that. Oh, I love this. Yeah. Well, what else do we need to know? Oh, my goodness. Um, there's, there's so many. I mean, there's just so many things that, you know, I could sit here all day and talk about different <laughs> resources and, okay. and, and everything like that. But I, I, I like to say, too, that um, it, it is important. Uh, I guess some of the groups of people I'd like to speak to are maybe people who aren't dealing with this in their family. And the, the statistics show that one in seven individuals will struggle with substance use disorder sometime in their life. So it's very likely if you're listening to this podcast, you know somebody uh, that is impacted by this, or you know a family that's impacted by this. So what I also try to help people understand is addiction is really just like any other disease, or it wants to be family members want it to be treated like any other disease. So you think about it when somebody gets a cancer diagnosis or diabetes diagnosis or heart disease or something like that, the community just rallies up around them. And, you know, you start the meal trains and the caring bridge. Mm-hmm. And this, we don't really see this when it, when it comes to substance use disorders. Again, that veil of shame and silence and stigma start to take place. So the family feels very alone. And so it's really important if you know a family that might be going through this right now, especially during this time when we know that substance use rates are up um, and we're seeing mental health disorders rising as well, it's really important to reach out to these families. Just say, hey, could I swing by and drop off a meal? 
are there any errands that you would need me to run for you? Because guaranteed these family members are feeling that same type of stress that other family members would feel if they were going through cancer or, you know, some of the other diseases that I mentioned. So you would be like, that would have been amazing if Mm -hmm. if somebody would have reached out to our family and just said, Hey, um, you know, I don't know what you're going through, but I'm here for you. And what can I do for you? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, I love that. And then what kind of that comes up for me as a parent is how, how do we, so, you know, as a, from a prevention standpoint with our own children, I think one of the things you mentioned was, you know, not creating that shame and blame and guilt Mm -hmm. in our children, if they're not doing things, maybe the way we think it should be, or, you know, breaking a boundary we have set, but how, how do we kind of create that culture within our families and communities where, where, you know, maybe this can be healed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, it's really good to talk to the parents out there. And, you know, Rachel, we were talking a little bit before this is again, our kids are watching us, right? Mm-hmm. So I think one of the things first is asking yourself, you know, first of all, what am I modeling in my own house? Mm-hmm. What am I, um, what have, what are my kids observing in terms of how they've grown up and what's going on. And, you know, we know, and it's acceptable, obviously, that the, that uh, alcohol and uh, that type of substance is very prevalent at a lot of family gatherings and celebrations, and that is part of our culture. And I'm not trying to vilify that in any manner. Um, but I think it's also important to help your children understand the context of that. And what decisions do you make as a family as it relates to that and being just very open and honest and transparent and having these discussions with your kids at an early age, because Mm -hmm. they want to, again, just, just like any types of topics we talk to our kids about, we hope that they hear it from us first, rather than finding it out maybe through their friends or on the internet. So Mm -hmm. it's really important to, again, just kind of look at your own behavior. What am I modeling in my family? What do I want to be modeling? And um, how do I talk to my kids about that? And there's obviously some really great work being done uh, on the prevention scale, uh, but there's a lot there's a lot of concern too about what we're seeing in our communities just with the vaping trends mm. um, rising over time as well. So, start you know it's just having that those open honest conversations with your kids, and again starting to um, start working those communication muscles with with having those conversations. Like, okay, how can I how can I have this conversation with my child without you know, shaming and blaming, mm-hmm. um, go, come at it from a sense of curiosity. Okay. Gosh, I noticed, gosh, I noticed a, um, vaping device in your, uh, in your backpack. Uh, what's going on? You help me understand what's going on here, honey. So just even starting the conversations off that way, rather than, I can't believe I found this. You're in so much trouble. Um, wait, you know, wait until your mom or dad gets home and we're going to have a conversation about this. So that's where we can start. I would also say for parents just to really, um, and maybe because I love this, this part of science, but really understand the neuroscience of the brain and understanding the development of um, how your child's brain is developing because it's really not fully formed until their mid-20s. Mm-hmm. So we know that they're making decisions where they don't have the full mental capacity to do that. And I think, Rachel, you were the one who turned me on to the book, um, The Whole Brain Child. Mm. And that is a fabulous book to read. I think really at any age, whether you've got little kids or whether you've got teenagers to, um, again, understand how their brains are developing. And then on top of that, if you can get some knowledge for yourself on how, um, 
how substances actually affect the adolescent brain. There's some really great stuff mm-hmm. out there on YouTube. That is eye-opening, and um, th- that it helps you understand how the use of a substance actually can, you know, change change the brain and what well, that does yeah. at, a, at a younger age. So I'm all about the education and information, and there's some really good stuff out there. Oh, I love it. You know, I, I wish it was as easy as telling our kids it's illegal mm-hmm. <laughs> until mm-hmm. this point, or, or maybe it's always illegal, yeah. and then that would be the end of it. But I, it, it sounds like it's not. For... No, it's not. And I think that yeah. the approach that I've even taken with my own son is to help him understand just how his brain is changing. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's a good conversation to have in, in all areas of decision-making, not just substances, but to help him understand actually the, you know, the longer you wait to use this, you know, you know, if you choose as an adult, once it's your legal drinking age, once you choose, um, you know, if and when, I want you to understand the impact that it has on your brain. And this is why we strongly advise you not to, um, not to use the substance until your brain is, is mature enough to handle it. Mm-hmm. That's my approach. I mean, it's different for many different, many different people, but that's, that's the way we've, we've decided to approach it in our family. Yeah. Oh, I love it. And I love that, you know, just having those conversations, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. it's easy to just kind of get busy and the day to day, but to take those times to connect and have, have those deeper conversations. Exactly. I love it. Any final thought you want to share? Oh, let's see. Well, thank you for the opportunity. This has been great to talk about this. And um, I, again, I, I really already said some of these things, but just again, trying to remember to treat this disease just like any, any other, you know, learn what you can about this disorder. Um, if you know that family that's struggling, bring them a meal this week or just give them a call and see how they're doing. Mm-hmm. And if you are a family that is currently struggling or maybe starting to question if this is in your family or if you've been dealing with this for a while, um, know that there is great support out there and resources for you. Um, and there are people out there that can help you navigate through this. And I would just say, give yourself some grace. This can be a really difficult thing uh, to deal with. And we're human and we're going to make mistakes. Um, but it's definitely possible to turn those feelings of hopelessness into hope so that you can be at a better place for you, your family, and your loved one. Oh, beautiful. I love it. So what would be the best way for the listeners to connect with you to learn more? Sure. So you can reach out to me via email. It's at um, Lori, that's L-A-U-R-I-E, at LoriHealy.com. That's H-E-A-L-Y. And that would be my website as well, LoriHealy.com. Wonderful. Thanks so much, Lori. This has been such a great, you know, it's bringing awareness to something that is so prevalent. And, and like you said, it's not just the person with the addiction dealing with it. It is a whole family um, situation. Yes, it is. It is. And I've seen so many wonderful recovery stories of families. And so it is possible if you feel like it's not and you can't see the light of day, um, there is great, there are great recovery stories out there too. So hopefully those provide some hope for those of, of you that might be struggling with this right now in your own families. Mm-hmm. And thank you, Lori, for doing this work. It's Absolutely. probably not an easy field to dive into. 
Yeah, not, I mean, it's not easy, but it's, um, you know, it's really rewarding in a way that I would have never imagined. And mm-hmm. so it's just my heart is to, to help other families um, where we were 20, 30 years ago and, mm-hmm. you know, have somebody to reach out and say, hey, let me help you with this. Like, there are ways that you can start to change the way that your family is dealing with this and, um, and start to recover and heal as a family, as a whole family unit. Mm-hmm. Oh, sweet. And I just love that it's become this calling for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely. Beautiful. Hey, Rev with Rachel listeners. Thanks so much for tuning in. It's a pleasure to share these important life transforming and healing topics with you. As always, remember to rev, recreate, enlighten, and vibrate. Thank you for listening. Until we meet again, be love. EWN Podcast Network.